0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Reload Podcast. My name's Lee Maxwell and joining me this afternoon is... Connor McCann. And on the phone we also have... Nigel Lamont. So we're still in full lockdown mode, folks, so we have Nigel on the phone again. Hello. <laughs> Hi.
1: Yeah, so lockdown is in full swing. Some people it's working for, some people it's not. So what have you been up to this last while?
2: Um, I've, try- I've been trying not to murder my dog, oh dog.
1: Aye, that's just the normal for you, isn't it?
2: I've never spent so much time with the dog, so uh, from time to time he looks across at me and goes, why are you still here? We can clear off? He we doesn't need understand. Or <laughs>
1: Needs to hump a pillow.
2: Well, he does that anyway, you know.
1: That dog is no shame.
2: None. None at all. No, not been up to a lot myself. There's uh, a little debate these days um, with police checkpoints about and the disease on the go. You don't want to be about.
1: Yeah, it's hard to yeah. sneak and I run out in the car.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still working, so I take the decent thirty and to work as much as I can. Uh, so that's has been a bit of pleasure, something to look forward to.
1: Funny you say that. I'm still working, and I've noticed a few classic cars on the morning commute. So it says a few people like yourself just want to take the thing out for a run, using it as an excuse.
2: Yeah, that's definitely what's happening. I noticed that myself, actually. I can't yeah. remember
1: what I seen during the week. There was definitely there was one Japanese performance car that stood out to me. Something daft, like a S15 or a Skyline or something like that. And I remember thinking, that's not the normal commuter car. And then there was right. something classic, like a Morse Minor, And I was like, oh, fair play. At least if you can get out get out in it, why not?
2: I think I've seen a TR6 and a Mark 1 Escort in the last two Ooh, weeks. Oh, very <laughs> nice.
1: You don't see
0: them no,
2: very see. often anyway. No, not really, no. Not really at all.
0: And Connor's taking my Sirocco to work a couple of days just to give it a run because otherwise it will just be sitting here with the battery going dead.
2: It'll be wondering what's happening. It, it's usually doing about 400, 500 miles a day. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> the Sirocco's went from doing around, what, 800 miles a week. In the past three weeks it's done 50. Flip, and some good old notorious Volkswagen rear calipers, I'm just thinking, take it out for a run, get them freed up a bit. Yeah, I'll start to seed up way And the Bora, I filled it two and a half weeks ago. And there's still over half a tank, which is unheard of for that thing.
2: I just spend the money on food now instead of fuel. (laughs) I don't.
1: I've spent nothing. I don't know. Foods yeah, food's about the only expense I have really. And, yeah. I don't know, it's good savings. Pump yeah, it uh, pump it all back into the car. Or the garage. Or the garage, yeah. It's that's kinda of what I'm thinking yeah. of. Every time we go to buy something stupid I'm like, no, put it towards the garage build.
2: There's never been a time where so many cars have been clean and so many gardens have looked so well in the whole existence of the human race at the middle.
1: Yeah, everybody's got very productive this past while.
2: Well so, some some have turned to alcohol, really. <clears throat> <least>, but uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what I, I've got these days now. I don't know. I kind of quit drinking and see now that I don't have to drive anywhere. I'm just donning about and I'm like, I'll grab a beer. I'll grab a beer, and then you realise you're like, fuck! I'm half cut here. <laughs> <laughs> we played a we played a Skype game the other night with a few friends of ours, the Shed sixty two guys, and yeah. I think we started about half seven, and by half nine, I remember thinking, well, it must be late enough now because I am, I'm fairly pissed here. It was half nine.
2: (laughs) In two hours, you were ready for bed.
1: I had half a bottle of Jack Daniels on me, and I was like, yeah, I'm fucked here.
2: I I think that's what a lot of people have been doing recently, just to sort of get by, facetiming people and uh, WhatsApp groups, sort of memes have been flying about, and then I've been involved in a couple of pub quizzes as well, you know, that sort of thing, online quizzes.
1: Yeah, they're uh, good fun. Lee's actually put together a few there last night, was it?
0: Yeah, the last few days. So the one we did on Friday night one of the other girls in the group had just organized and she read out the questions and it was really good. She had done it with her family. But then I was yeah. thinking, because you know what I'm like, I'm a bit of a nerd. And uh, I was like, I bet yeah, I could jazz this up. So it was my turn to do the questions for this week. So I was like, right, this is going to be the snazziest quiz going. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so we did a trial run with my family kind of group chat last night. So we all got on Skype. And I was able to put the questions up on the screen and have little pictures and stuff. So we did a music round over the phone and everything. So I really enjoyed it. I wish I could do stuff like this all the time. I've had so much fun putting them together. And I've got next week's quiz ready to go already. So what about you, Lee? What have you been up to? Well, that. And uh, last weekend, we managed to get the Jetta started, pulled it down the yard a bit, got it washed, took a few pictures and uh, put in my application for virtual dust off. Very good. That we talked about, I think, the last time.
1: Yeah, I still have to do mine.
0: So yeah, that was good. It was nice to just put your hands on a car again.
1: Yeah, do something car (laughs) related. Yeah, I I
0: must have
2: lost the email for it or something. I must actually look on the junk mail.
1: When you get the um, when the email comes out, there's like a link in the purchase breakdown, and you just click it and submit your stuff. It's a really good system.
2: It's pictures only. You can't put a video in.
1: No, no videos. No turbo noises for the Corrado. <laughs> it would
2: be put a video of a walk around, you know.
1: Yeah, it's not actually a bad idea. I suppose it depends what sort of would, space they to work probably, with.
2: Yeah, it would probably take some serious bandwidth to be able to do that as well. Yeah. Says the man that can barely turn a laptop on, you know. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so I haven't done very much car related. help. helped Lee last weekend with washing the car and take a few photos and things like that. But I'm hoping this week I'm off now. I'll get torn into the workshop and try and clear a bit of space so, literally looks like someone has pulled everything off the shelves and left it land in the middle of the floor i wonder is, who
0: that could have yeah. been
1: yeah that was pretty much what i did back <laughs> in november so went into it there last week and then realized why i hadn't been in in around four months and closed the door again
2: i think this week i washed the daily the daily day four got a real good deep clean and a couple of coats of wax and then uh pretty waxed the corrado again put the cover over walked out
1: very nice Keep her good <laughs> i tell you what, the amount of people I've seen washing cars this past while, the detailers have been wrecking it in when they open again.
2: Oh aye, yeah. <laughs> Swirl setting. Yeah. The detailing companies might be suffering because of lack of vending or whatever, or trading at the shows, but I'd say their online sales are pretty good at the moment anyway.
1: Yeah, they're bound to be because there's people sitting at home with nothing to do and thinking at least I can go out and do this and be productive.
0: Especially because yeah. the weather's been so nice. That's one thing I noticed over the years
2: talking to a trader of detailing products. They found Dub Shed. A lot of people came to build their stock up for the show season, so we got a good trade in that Dub Shed, you know.
1: Yeah, and suppose being season opener, it's the first time people sort of realize, I haven't got this, I haven't got that, and then they'll buy it there for the show.
2: So now people know they're going to be in the house for at least, I'd say, a month or so. So they're just going, right, I'm going to do a full detail in this car or my wife's car or whatever.
1: Okay, yeah, so... Oddly enough, then, with a banal on lockdown and manufacturers aren't making any cars, we actually happen to have quite a bit of news, and probably more than we usually do. To kick it off as a bit of a controversial one, and Sunday the 5th of April, which was last Sunday, I think it was, when we were recording this, this is Easter Sunday yep. now, the cannonball record was broken for the run across America.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: These guys took the opportunity with the lockdown. There's very few people on the road and went for it. And broke the record in a white new shape A8. It's for anyone that doesn't it, know what. It, it, sorry, go they ahead. Didn't,
2: they didn't identify themselves. It was very anonymous, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, it was. Probably for the backlash that a, they would have got from it. Anyone that isn't familiar with this run, it's 2,800 miles from the Red Ball Guards in New York City to Portofino in California.
2: If you haven't watched the Ball Run film, Turn it off now, I don't want to know you. Yeah,
1: yeah, all the young ones will not have seen it. So okay,
2: tune back in, I was
1: really joking. <laughs> alienate half the listeners. So yes, the general gist is, start at the Red Bull Garage in New York City and race across the country to Portofino. There's no particular route, you can take any route you want, you just have to get there as fast as you can. The beat the record by approximately 45 minutes. So the total time they taken was 26 hours, 38 minutes.
2: That is absolutely insane.
1: It is, yeah. Any of the record attempts that didn't beat previous ones, and even the previous ones that have been beaten, are mental, because they're in around the sort of 28 to 30 hours mark. When you think driving across? The, the,
2: the most memorable one for me was uh, the boy in the M5. Alex I Roy. The, Alex Roy, I, I think I've seen a few sort of YouTube videos or films or whatever. And all the radar equipment and detectors he had in the car was just hilarious.
1: Yeah, Alex Roy so was, was the obsessed. The
2: attention to detail, bigger fuel tanks and different things to make it so he wouldn't lose time at filling stations and stuff.
1: The likes of Alex Roy and even previous guys that have competed to do this, the attention to detail, as you say, and like the preparation into things, not only for modifications to the car, but like radar equipment and the things like got that they had with them to do this where these guys from what we can tell they had two boat tanks in the boot for extra fuel they used vinyl to cover over some of the back lights so there was less light output from them and they had a gps device and they just went for it
2: but i think also What's well, the one about Alex Roy? they done their research, the time that, that would avoid the least traffic in the different cities that they're passing through at different times.
1: Yeah, as in like their start time dictated when they would hit different cities. Yeah. When you work it out then, that it works out roughly about an average speed of 105 miles per hour. And that actually, that's not an average moving average. speed. Yeah, average? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not even an average moving speed. That takes into account fuel stops. So that's a yeah. serious pace that you're doing when you're on the pipe. I actually I was looking up previous record attempts and the one that these guys beat was previously done in two thousand thirteen and it was set in a E sixty three AMG mark which was tuned to seven hundred horsepower and oh, tidy. Yeah. So it seems to be the German equipment is the, the job for doing it. But one thing I did notice was the technology that they had in the car and the modifications they'd done to the car compared to what the guys in the eight have done. So the previous record attempt, it was done they had a custom larger fuel cell, two radar detectors laser jammers they actually had an aircraft collision avoidance system in the car so it meant then that <laughs> yeah if the police planes were around they could detect those they had brake and taillight kill switches that all the carbon fiber on the car was covered in satin or like silver vinyl so it looked like a fairly standard merc to anyone The vi- there was vinyl over the back lights as well and they actually shaped it to look like a honda accord so if someone seen it and re- tried to report it they would recognize it as a honda accord as opposed to a merc the police scanners, CB radios, and probably most impressive of all, a thermal scope on the roof, which is controlled by a rear passenger so they could spot cops for like way away in the distance for heat traces.
2: <laughs>
1: so you can understand how they beat the record as opposed to taking advantage of this time when everything's locked down. But it's it's a strange one for me. And I was talking to this a bit Lee, with Lee yesterday off air. I'm very conflicted on it. The car guy said to me is like, Yes, go for it. That is brilliant. And you took a good opportunity. The other side of me is kind of like the moral side. Believe it or not, I do have morals. And you're sort of thinking anyone that, if they cause an accident, they're stressing already strained emergency services. And yeah. if they hit it's something on the road, that is more likely an essential person going to their work.
2: It was a very selfish act, is the way you look
1: at it, I would say. Yeah. As I say, I I'm very torn on it. A few people posted about it on Facebook. A friend Corey Sterling that runs the VAG First shows, he had posted about it and we debated back and forth and then he said he would give it a go and pay for my flights to come over and I sort of thought, yeah, that would change my mind. The morals would go out the window there.
0: Yeah, well, the only difference is if you get caught, he won't get deported because he lives there.
1: I know, that's my problem. (laughs) I'll I'll not be allowed back to America.
0: Yeah, you'll never be able to go back again, so... Be some you would, experience, you would gain, gain the nickname of El Bandido. Connor, El
1: Bandido, <laughs> if you might say that is me already,
0: you've obviously never <laughs> seen Connor's passport photo because that's exactly what he looks like.
1: Yeah, it's terrorism at its finest. The
0: South Armada Bandido,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: a past life.
2: I can put a picture up of you with a balaclava on that cargo. You, you can want. indeed, actually, that's right. You <laughs> should post that.
1: <laughs> might never get back into another country again. One thing that kind of got me about this, though, was the quote-unquote officials that adjudicate these type of races. They ever come out and they're sort of up in arms saying about it and, again, taking kind of the moral ground with it. But to me, that's a null point because it's an illegal race for a start. And what those guys are doing is putting lives in danger, Only not only their their own but other people. So it's kind of a bit of a get-on-your-high-horse sort of thing. You know, it's... What right do they have to say that these guys did wrong over what they do normally?
2: It's like the Spider-Man thing basically.
1: It is, yeah. This is back and forward. They're the same people. But no, I I did think that was a bit strange now. But I suppose they have to come out and defend it
2: somehow. I think to a certain extent, there's certain areas of America that are taking coronavirus very lightly too. I think there's an aspect of that.
1: Well, that's it. The other big thing was the beginning of this is in New York City. And at the minute, New York City is absolutely ravaged with the COVID-19. So you're starting there and potentially carrying it on with you. Next up then, we have supercar owner Benjamin Chen. For anyone that's... More than likely has seen this because we're all locked down, nothing to do. only look at the internet. crashes.
2: I think I've seen it shared about a million times this week.
1: Yeah, I didn't even know this guy existed until this happened, and now that it's I do, extended. it yeah. needs shared. He crashes Gambala GT in New York City. There's a few like on street videos people were taking with their cameras. There's CCTV footage and basically shows him speeding, losing control, and hitting into a parked car. Which is sort oh. of like, fair enough, anyone can do that. It's a supercar, and you're not going to be a total angel all the time. But when you throw it in reverse, select first, and then try and drive off with half the car dragging behind you, that's kind of where you hit a problem.
2: Yeah, I watched the footage of it, it looks like he bent in half. Yeah, he, just, he hit hard. He just, But he sent it up the road away with the wheel hanging off, but it sounded so good. He did, I th- yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I sort of wonder, is it because the exhaust or something broke off? Did it sound really well?
2: <laughs> it just sound like an F1 car, but... Sure, it is an f one engine, realistically.
1: He got a few blocks and then hit another three parked cars, I think it was, and then came to a stop.
2: Just for good measure, like? You might not yep. do it properly.
1: And then it turns out the police ended up charging him with operating a vehicle impaired by drugs and reckless driving, so that's a big F you to that guy. Uh,
2: just when you mentioned this here, Leroy, I look back at some of the cars he had crashed before, he has quite a history of
1: it. He does, yeah. It's not, it's, he's a professional crasher at this stage.
2: Quite a rare Lamborghini Murcielago, ISCLK GTR, like that's just mental car. Um there was a McLaren, I think he had as well.
1: Yeah, if you're not uh, a fan of supercars, this guy's doing you a favour.
2: <laughs> the footage of the police arresting him—he was going to get back in the car. He was that way out; he just didn't realise what he had done or something.
1: Yeah, he's the guy was high on life. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with life.
2: What, what does the guy do? He just he was a.
1: Former co-owner of the Gold Rush Rally, if you've heard of it. right? So he's involved with it, he's not anymore, and he's essentially famous for the cars that he owns and writing them off.
2: That internet fame life? That's it, yep.
1: All going to his head.
0: Do you ever see accidents and you wonder how they happened? Have you ever come across an accident and thought, what happened here? Because I can't make sense of it. Like, where has the physics gone?
2: Yeah. <laughs> In one like the clips of the scene, you can actually see what happened. He just sent it and she just threw the tail out. Uh, yeah. Slapped across 10 parked cars. Full Just Too much horsepower for a guy who couldn't handle it, it like.
0: I'm just thinking of accidents that I've seen over the years. Like, there's a big junction in Lisburn down near the hospital, and I came down the hill from the police station one day and came across a car on its roof, and I'm just thinking, this is a 30 mile an <laughs> hour built up area at a set of traffic lights. How do you flip a car onto its roof? What were you doing? What speed were you doing? I don't understand. I can't see how it has happened.
2: I'm surprised you said that, Lee, with all the miles you do every week and you see the amount of stupid drivers.
0: Well, that <laughs> is true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was coming back from work today and I uh, coming up the Newtown Road towards Stormham. And um, there's this guy, and I, th- I think he thought he was in a getaway in Stockholm. He was just cutting in uh, the traffic the whole way up the road.
1: Yeah, it is crazy. Some of the people driving on the road a minute have definitely taking advantage of it.
2: In, in my head, people, people are sitting thinking, oh, there's nobody in the road I can drive as fast as I want. But the police at the minute are patrolling more than ever.
1: Yeah, they've literally so nothing gonna get,
2: to do. They're going to get caught.
1: Like some cops sitting there with nothing to do except watch for yeah. people speeding. Yeah,
2: I was coming out of work last Saturday evening. I must have came across six or seven cars in the road home. It's a police
1: car, sorry. No, they're they're definitely out and about.
2: In conclusion, Ben Chang is a numpie. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Will we? <laughs> yeah, we'll leave
1: it there. Our third piece of news then is a rather strange one. Is guy in England, John Brayshaw. He purchased a house around six months ago. He's a gardener on lockdown. What do gardeners do? They do their own garden and was digging holes for fences. And he struck something hard with a spade. Kind of dug around it and found the roof of a car. He's reported as saying that he thought it was a bit strange that someone had buried the roof of a car, so he dug around it to try and get it out, and it turned out the entire car was there.
2: Was it a Mark V Golf?
1: Unfortunately not. It it, wouldn't
0: be there anymore. It'd
1: be (laughs) rusted away. So
2: too much metal.
1: He uncovered a, a full Ford Popular. I think everything was there right down to the number plates, except for the wheels. And the thing had essentially been dug a hole, turned it on its side, dropped it in, and a light covering the soil over it, probably about a foot thick.
2: be interesting to hear the history of that, Carly.
1: Yeah, I think he's, he's put out for appeals to see if anybody knows about it or what the story is with it, but there's no knowing how long it's there. It's a bad case. It's well, well rotted. Yeah. Generally, you find things like that if something's happened to it. It's been used in a robbery or it's been stolen or, you know, something bad's happened and somebody thought, Right, how do we get rid of this thing? Bury it in the garden?
0: They used to come <laughs> across cars, do you remember, quite a lot buried in quarries and stuff? And Yeah. front end cut off them to order, obviously, and then just the rest of it yeah. dumped in a quarry.
1: There was a spate of that with Hondas here around 15 years ago. EK9 type Rs. They were going missing, and then they were chopped the front ends off for conversions, sold on, and then kind of just buried in quarries and kind of get dug up a few years later when guys were legitimately digging for stuff.
2: There was a gentleman... Not too far from where I used to live, and he was involved in that carry on. He had a yard, and uh, yeah, had a good digger about him. The path.
1: Oh, he knew the he knew the right size to dig for a civic, did he? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: will name any names, no.
2: Not at all. You like your knees. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Our last piece of news ends uh, a rather sad one, then. As of this morning there, Sterling Moss has died. Yeah. Sterling Moss, I'm sure there's not too many that don't know who he is, is an ex-British F1 driver, and he died at 90 years of age. I was doing a bit of reading up on him outside of his Formula 1 career. He broke five land speed records and an MG at Bonneville Salt Flats, averaging 245 miles per hour back in 1957. Back then, that's a serious pace.
0: Even now, it still is.
1: It is, yeah. Uh,
2: I, th- I think for me, Sterling Moss... He was always in the background, you know, because of my love of cars and all the rest of it. I knew you sort of bit about him, but I think he was bought- brought more to the forefront when he done the interview with Richard Hammond about the memory loss because of his accident in 1962 or 64 it was. That's right, yeah. He basically uh, had that crash and couldn't race because he uh, mentally couldn't function like he used to with a race car.
1: And something like that happened in someone who... Their whole life is based around their career. must be horrendous for them to go through. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's like being a pianist and... Losing a hand.
1: So after his racing career then, he went on to broadcast in Formula One and NASCAR right up to 1980. And then he stepped back into the race gear again. He went back into the British Saloon Car Championship, which I think went into the Touring Car Championship eventually. He actually raced with GTI Engineering back in 1988. Some of our Volkswagen friends will know a bit about it. That'd be nice. Yeah. In later life then, he continued to drive historic events right up till 2011 when he actually was in the qualifying for Le Mans Legends and he retired from it and said that, that was it. He was done. He had scared himself that day and he had enough, which is fairly impressive for somebody at 81 years of age, considering I'll probably never see 81 years of age. That, man, <laughs> that man's still out there racing.
2: You're a glass half empty kind
0: of guy, uh, Connor, is that
1: what you're saying? I'm a live life fast kind of guy.
0: I was going to say, oh, okay. just probably realistic.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or live life fast or live life fat, one of the two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's right, though. I think if you get a scare, you have to stop.
1: You either need to go on with it or yeah. you stop. No, that's it.
0: I know from being out on the bike, I used to get where if something happened or I had a near miss, you know, somebody pulled out on you or something, or just something happened, or you had a bit of a wobble or something happened. That was it. I just had to go home then because for the rest of the day, I couldn't relax. I couldn't take a corner at any sort of speed or anything because I just was in my own head going, shit, shit, shit. You know, You're real on edge. tense. And that was it. If something like that happened, I was just like, right, I'm done for the day, I'm away back home because there's no point in being out here.
2: What do you what do you call the film it was about the Dunlops? Oh, forget the name was it Road? Road I interviewed McCall. Once you're scared, that's you done. You can't. There's no fear in the writers. Once you get a fear of it, you're basically done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. And whether... It reminds me of that brand back in the day, No Fear.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the eyes.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. I know a couple of guys that ride... Not super bike closed circuit, but road racing. And they're, they're a different person. There is no fear in them. It just switches yeah. off and there's no emotion whatsoever. How, it's just going how fast. fast.
2: How fast can I go? That's it.
1: Yeah. No yeah. Can... So as you say, if anything infringes on that at all, it's going to affect you.
0: With yeah. me, normally it was just that particular day. Mm-hmm. And then if I went out again the next day, I was grand again. But even so, I still couldn't do what those guys do ever.
1: No. I think it's... Because
0: I have there's too much of my brain always working in the background going well, but what if, you yeah. know, that just sheared off? Or what if that wee knot just wasn't quite as tight as it might be? Or what if this? It's always in the back of your mind, or it was in mine anyway. And I think if you're going to do those serious speeds and serious racing, you can't let any of that stuff even enter your head.
2: No, you have to stop. I'm not pathetic. I, I always check my fast clamps on my road bike when I'm going into work because they come off, like, my road bike going to be doing 30. 30 35 mile an hour, and I don't want them popping off, and that's just a road bike.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not doing 180 mile an hour. You
2: know, there's fast release there's clamps in them, like, and when I change tires or whatever, I'd, I'd be very sort of paranoid that they're tightened correctly.
1: No, you're right, yeah. R.I.P. to Sir Sterling Moss. It's, he had a good run anyway, at 90 years of
2: age. Yeah, just like to mention that our podcast is supported once again by Reload.Global. Head over to the website, Reload Global and check out some of the retro motorsport clothing accessories. And we're pleased to announce that we have a discount for all podcast listeners. If you just enter at checkout, the code PODCAST15, gets you 15% off your order. Yeah, so head over to the website, check out our stuff, some real cool stuff from the 80s and 90s motorsport. Designs are mainly done by 8380 Labs in America. Would really appreciate your support. Right, so this week we're going to talk about John DeLorean. So we're going back. What do you think of when you think of DeLorean? Uh, back to the future. Time travel. Well, there's much more much more of a story than that behind DeLorean. So the DeLorean Motor Company was set up in the 70s and 80s, but I'll go into that detail in a, in a, in a short while. But just want to give you a quick background into Mr. John DeLorean, who started up the DeLorean Motor Company. So he was born in 1925 in Detroit. He was a very well-educated man. He had a couple of degrees. Um, one of them was engineering. I think he had a law degree, some des- description.
1: Might help him in later life. He started
2: life. off late, well. and Once he had graduated, he was straight into uh, Packard Car Company, um, which is not going today, Connor, is that right?
1: No, I don't think so. It's one of those ones that got absorbed, like a lot of the firms over the years.
2: No, he made made a name for himself very quickly in Packard as an engineer when he helped develop. He he basically spearheaded the development of the automatic Box. Yeah, so that catapulted his career in Packard. Packard were known for producing over-engineered, pricey cars. He helped improve the brand for years. He helped refine his engineering skills and very quickly became the head of R&D in Packard. You think of that, like in a few years, that guy has just shot up a company, become head of R&D. Even in his early years, you can see he's quite a clever guy.
1: Yeah, he was some guy that was going places like anywhere that he worked. He always rose through the ranks.
2: Diamond in the rough, as they say.
1: Yeah, very rough. So uh,
2: 1956 then, he was head hunted by the vice president of engineering of GM Motors. He was given the choice to go to one of the five divisions. In GM you've got Cadillac Buick, Pontiac, Chevrolet, and Oldsmobile back then. So he was on the fast track, a great career. He decided to go to Pontiac as an assistant to chief engineer. So back in the fifties, Pontiac had a reputation of an old person's car, but John and John seen that as a challenge. So his first dip in car production of his own project was the Pontiac Tempest. Just looking back at the information on the Tempest, John basically Took this by the horns. And it sort of reminds me of the development of the Mark 1 GTI. Back then, a small body car in the GM range was limited to a 5.4 litre engine. But John developed it sort of like a skunkworks of GM, and he rammed into it a 6.4 litre, 345 horsepower engine.
1: Sort of a behind the scenes type project?
2: Yeah, so that's what made me think about the Mark 1 GTI.
1: Yeah, very much so. In
2: 1964, there were 40,000 orders put in for but GM didn't like it. I don't know what happened in detail, but there was only ever 5,000 ever produced. Okay. From looking back at the information, he was with Pontiac then until 1969. Then, 1969 was a very, very big year for him. He was made the head of Chevy.
1: Very good. He's yeah. rising through.
2: It's worth noting in the background, John was not your ordinary executive. Back then, executive was wearing the suit, very boring, older type of guy. John was the exact opposite. He was open chest, medallions, fell bottom trousers, flashy dresser, big socialite, had famous friends, friends with Johnny Carson, Sammy Davis Jr. At that stage, he was in a very well paid job. He actually had investments in San Diego Chargers, the New York Yankees, was renowned for his womanizing, his partying. He was the rock star of the motor trade industry.
1: Yeah, he, he became a, a celebrity, so to speak, where most of those yeah. guys, the bigwigs and those firms, want to sort of keep it low-key and play behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, GM was a very keep it simple, you know, keep things the way they are. John was the, the maverick as such. Yeah. So then, had of Chevy in 1969, helped develop the Chevy Vega, sold millions, uh, eight years or sold. He was seen as an affordable, stylish car. But when it came into production, quality was shocking. It had overheating issues. Um, they were never never addressed. But because of the numbers he sold, that, that was his get-out clause. He sold so many cars. And then in 1972, he was then promoted to the vice president of GM. When he was 40-year-old, he was the vice president of GM.
1: Yeah, a lot of those guys are all going to be... 50s, 60s anyway, that's a very young age to be hitting yeah.
2: that. as I said before that came with a lot of resentment within the company.
1: I'd say so. There was a lot
2: of dagger pointed at him.
1: Sounds like a few places I've worked where the more mistakes you make, the higher up the ranks you get.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it was basically people would criticise him, oh look at you, what do you like, what do you like? And then he just turned around and flex at them and go, Well, I'm selling more cars than you, so Joe mate. Yeah, they don't have to work. <laughs> so then in nineteen seventy two he was basically moved up again, to the head of truck and car production, moving towards the future. Everybody's seen him as the future president of GM. John being John and his Maverick Ways, it sort of bored him. He was going towards a big GM conference in nineteen seventy two and it was going to be seven hundred of the top guys GM and he had a speech wrote out and one of the quotes from it. He was basically slagging GM. There's no forward response at General Motors to what the public wants today. The cars should make people's eyes light up when they step into the showroom. Rebates are merely a way of convincing customers to buy bland cars they're not interested in.
1: I'm sure that went down well.
2: Well, the staff told him to dial it down. But rumour goes that uh, he himself leaked the copy of the letter that And Yeah, there was an internal investigation, basically, and it, found it was John that leaked it the press after he was told to dial it down.
1: So he was going to have so, a say one way or another?
2: Yeah, so shortly afterwards John was sent on his way. It was a mutual kind of thing. I think they gave him a franchise somewhere in America, or a rather large one, as a retirement gift. Go
1: um, away and leave us alone sort of thing.
2: In the press at the time John was seen as a maverick and was a hero. One of the change GM. So he had a great reputation at that time. He had big plans. He wasn't one for sticking around. So October 1975 John then decided, right, I'm going to build my own car. He found it in Detroit. This was seen as a fingers up the GM. Motor City. Gave John control over the production of his cars and the way he wanted it. He had ethos, basically. He wanted the best car bank for a buck. Ticked a lot of boxes with performance and style. He teamed up with a former executive, Bill Collins. Bill was basically tasked to do the car development, and John was the man that had to go and find the money. With his contacts and his uh, charisma. So John wanted a two-seater sports car. Um, he basically started developing the DMC12. That's the famous car from Back to the Future. Yeah. wasn't an easy road, but he wanted to tick all the boxes, as I said. One of the main features of the car was stainless steel body, so it wouldn't rust for 25 years. The gull-wing doors, iconic. Back then, the only other Gullwing door would have been a Lambo or a Mercedes, Connor, no?
1: Yeah, the the older Mercedes, I'm going to show my total ignorance here, but I think from the 50s, the old, was it the old SL, the original SL, had the, the SF,
2: Gullwing yeah. doors? And then the Lambo Mura, no? Did it have Gullwing?
1: I know Lambo love their weird doors. <laughs> I'd love to see the designers in Lambo, their houses, see what way their doors open.
2: DeLorean were developing this car. They brought in Giorgetto Gagaro. Yep. That might ring a few bells with a few people. That's a the famous man. Scirocco Mark 1 Golf, a minute, among many other cars. A legend. So keep costs down then. They <laughs> put in a V6 Peugeot Volvo developed engine. Yeah. They put out maybe a 130 brake.
1: Roaring ponies.
2: Yeah, so it wasn't going to... Smoke any Ferraris anytime soon? But
1: you just sort of wonder, though, at an American car like that, and they go to Reynold, Peugeot, and Volvo for an engine.
2: I think it was a cost thing, basically, to try and keep things down. I would have put a had. hamster
1: in it before to put that on it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't, don't, don't insult hamsters. <laughs> so seventy six, then the prototype was launched in front of the press. Press absolutely went nuts over. It. Because he promised it at $12,000 and so stylish and just ahead of his time for the common, not the common man's car, but, you know, a relatively affordable car. Yeah, accessible Uh, for people. John had a problem then. He had a motor company ready to rock, or well, theoretically ready to rock, but he didn't have the money to do it. He got a certain amount of investors, but it wasn't anywhere near. And in around the 70s, there was a bit of trouble in Northern Ireland.
1: Oh, just a, just a slight bit.
2: <laughs> just a tad. A few rowdy boys fighting
1: each other. I was a, there was a bit of trouble around that time. <laughs> Although if you see that woman's tweet there from recently, she harks back to the days of the 70s in Belfast when it was peaceful and quiet.
0: And no 5G. <laughs>
1: and no 5G, yeah. so <laughs> Was she in the nuclear
2: bunker at the time? <laughs> I don't think she was even alive at that stage. <laughs> so... uh I don't know how John came across the funding aspect in Northern Ireland when he looked at it in the news. Maybe there was something came up in an article somewhere. But the Industrial Development Board of Northern Ireland was trying to get jobs in the Northern Ireland, and they were basically throwing up money at companies to come over to Northern Ireland. So John's ears perked up. He salivated at the thought of free money, and he convinced the British government to let him build a factory in all places. Dunmurray and Belfast.
1: And just on that topic there, though, you're saying about trying to get investment into Northern Ireland with businesses. I'm only 31, and I can remember a time before you had, like, your big supermarkets from England over here. You know, you're, you know, you probably remember as well, you didn't have Tesco's or Sainsbury's or things that are the
2: norm now. Supermarkets in Northern Ireland, they weren't a thing back in the... They steers. Yeah.
0: Crazy um, was, prices, was, I remember. Crazy prices. Steered some crazy prices.
2: They were local supermarkets. Yeah. yeah.
1: Nobody wanted to come here, so the fact that he nope. did was a ballsy move.
0: I remember the first Sainsbury's opening at Forestside, and it was, like, mind-blowing <laughs> to people. Like, it was... Look what we have now. And they had... remember the big thing that everybody was talking about at the time. I don't even know what age I was, but I wasn't very old. But it was like, they had ostrich burgers and crocodile <laughs> meat, and, you know, they had a whole section of exotic meats and everybody was, it was like, like, what? It was like a,
2: a Christmas continental marketer, right? That's <laughs> <it. Yeah. laughs> Anything beyond
1: sausages or bacon in Northern Ireland's exotic. The, pro-
2: the, pro- the problem back then was any English or British company came over there, and they just blew them up. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah.
1: much. I suppose if it was an American no. company coming in, it didn't seem too bad.
2: No, no. Yeah, so he got $140 million. The deal was 2,000 jobs. And at a time where unemployment was in just stratospheric figures in Northern Ireland, it was welcomed. So Especially
1: around Belfast.
2: Green light was on, and they uh, started building a factory in Dunmurray, West Belfast. It was a great thing for the area. Like I was listening to an interview, just it was a short interview on YouTube, and some of the workers talking. And I, I grew up in the 80s, but in the 70s, it was even worse, but the hatred back then was just intense. And to have something, people, people in the factory were saying like some of their best friends with the other side of the community. Uh-huh. You know, it, it it actually did bring people together, and it was a real great thing for the the country as such. Yeah, it
1: sort of forces you into a situation where you learn that these people aren't any different than yourself.
2: So they kicked off then, started building the factory. They brought in a famous man called Colin Chapman. Oh Do yeah, you know him, Connor, Lotus F1, fame. Yes, uh... so he was brought in. I don't know how he dropped the ball in the handle on this thing, but there you go. No. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it might
1: have been a lost cause. the like asking them to make a loaf of bread handle.
2: Yeah, we're we're moving into the 80s now. They're about to start production in two years. At this stage, I think it have been four or five. So they started producing them. I think January 81 was the first models rolled out. And the production quality was shocking. Reviews were terrible. Performance surprise, surprise, was crap. Handling was terrible. As I said, that's surprising surprise for Colin Chapman. But the bonuses for the car was style, gullwing doors, no rust. It was something people hadn't seen before. And the flip side of it, it was far dearer than a Corvette. So in America, it, it didn't stand, stand a chance.
1: Yeah, why are you going to uh, buy that over a Corvette?
2: 1981, the 9,000 cars built in 21 months. There was a famous advert by MasterCard, but they advertised a gold-plated DMC-12. It was $150,000 back then. And um, one was sold? Five were sold. Five? There's a boy in Texas with one of them. I don't know what the other four are. And probably in Dubai.
0: <laughs> Melted down.
2: Melted <laughs> down. I by 1982, bear in mind, this is right in the middle of a recession, so not a great time to launch a semi-luxury car. Nope. Or anything, it metal, really. <laughs> yeah. It's like launching a car today.
1: Yeah, we'd we'll give it a go.
2: So by 1982, <laughs> only half of the 7,000 DeLoreans that would made were unsold. The DeLorean Company was $175 million in debt. Whoa. (laughs) But there was a clause in the contract which stated more jobs would mean more money being released. So John being a smart man he had, he employed more people so he could release more money.
1: Sorry, he was making his money off the grants as opposed to selling the cars?
2: Yeah, but in the early 80s there was a change of government. Labour went out of power and the Tories came in with a lady called Margaret Thatcher. The Iron Lady. She wasn't as generous with the purse strings she basically cut the money. She demanded the it had to be profitable and it meant funding was needed ASAP for the factory otherwise UK government would seize the factory and shut it down and strip the assets. Totally. To be
0: honest, so, I know everybody thinks Margaret Thatcher was this horrible lady but that doesn't seem unreasonable.
1: No. <laughs> We're giving you money for your business. You at least wanted to be profitable.
0: Yeah. I think Mar- Margaret Thatcher used to be
2: the treasurer, or shadow treasurer. So she was always money related. She so yeah. probably just looked at the money drain of free money going about and was disgusted with it.
1: Yeah, and in the middle of a recession, the first thing you're going to do is cut things like that.
2: Makes perfect sense. You had British Rail, British Telecom, just all just, like, if you ever think about, I think there needs to be a happy ground between privatisation and public companies, because look at TransLink, losing money every year. Look at the leisure centres, the financials, the leisure centres. How can how can David Lloyd make millions of pounds every year run the leisure centre? But but Council can't make money to run the leisure centre. Why is that?
1: Yeah, it's it's a strange setup.
2: Just everybody sticks their hands in when it's a government company.
1: Yeah, because they think, but, oh, there's plenty of money coming in, take it all.
2: So John John was a bit of pickle. He needed funding the S A P his company was going to go bust. Yeah, that year went on, and then in the news, big news then. October 1982, John was arrested on the eight charges. One of them was trafficking cocaine. He had video footage of doing a cocaine deal. Uh, thing operation by FBI and DEA. £59 of cocaine okay. um, in a it's an hotel room. Value, market value back then of $6.5 million. So quite a lot.
0: Wait, hang and on. on so £59? Like weight? Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. For a suitcase. So- is it not it's way.
1: yeah it's about 30 kilos
0: yeah that's heavy
1: <laughs> Lee would have split that into two suitcases like but a I professional think,
2: I, think, I, think the deal, I think the deal was being brokered it wasn't the actual physical thing was there oh right okay oh, right, yes but it was a deal for 59 pounds in the video one of John's famous quotes was him saying cocaine was better than gold <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I've never snorted gold oh, well just to go on record I haven't snorted yeah. cocaine either but <laughs> I haven't snorted gold I don't think you get the same hit off it <laughs>
2: So, a bit of background on why the investigation started, briefly. Basically, at the start of the 80s, Reagan was coming in, and his policy was to go harder in the drug cartels. Back then, there was big money paid to informants, and the informants were living a lavish lifestyle because the various government organisations were paying them big money for information. And one of them happened to be John's neighbour.
1: Oh, lovely. (laughs) Never trust your neighbours.
2: A fella called Jim Hoffman. He was a recorded say uh, meeting with Jim Hoffman saying trying to broker a deal with if he could give him two million dollars, he could make him fifty million dollars with this cocaine deal.
1: Okay, and they're uh, going myself.
2: So the FBI and the DAI staged a meetup. It was involving uh, Morgan Hepick who had imported a drug at the time. It was just basically a, it was a staged meeting of the banker who could get John the two million pound and that was it. They burst in and arrested him. So of all, of all the videos and stuff that they had, you thought, right, John's going down here. So it moved to court. By the time it got to court, it was in the autumn 1984, and basically John got away with it.
1: <laughs> For <laughs> a <problem. laughs>
2: The ruling was that John was a man in desperate times. His company was going bust. John wouldn't have made the decisions that he would have made of had he not been in such a desperate position and the DAA and the FBI were basically told that you've entrapped this man to do this deal in a very dire situation he was in. God love him. So he got away with it, but for John, that was him done because his reputation as a businessman was ruined.
1: Yeah, no one's going to touch him after that.
2: One month later, he was bankrupt.
1: So his plan didn't go to plan then?
2: No, didn't go to plan. No big payout. No, no big payday that day. I
1: wonder what Margaret so Thatcher it. thought of that, the guy she's given all this money to.
2: <laughs> that didn't go so well for. Her. I think that's why she maybe went after the miners. Eh?
1: One, one is not impressed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's not the queen. That's nah,
1: close enough.
2: So you thought, right? That's John got away with it. He'd be a good boy, boy but always in the background, his friend Bill Collins had helped helped him develop the car. Had always wondered about this company that, that they'd been using called GPD Services. Uh huh. Basically, it turned out that Lorian struck a deal with Colin Chapman. And it was basically a funneling account. So for every $1 he sent Lotus, $1 went to GPD. Lovely. And it turned out $17.6 million had been funneled to an account in Switzerland.
1: Oh, lovely. Doesn't sound suspicious.
2: It was basically a shell company, and it was fraud. DeLorean benefited out of that money, $9.5 million. In 1984, that was a brave bit of cheddar cheese.
1: Still a brave bit.
2: Uh, Yeah, but this didn't work out well for him. After evading the drug deal, next thing you know, the IRS was after him. September 85, he was brought up on tax evasion charges and defrauding investors. John being John, he was total chill, and he said that he had letters to explain that it was merely a loan. Conveniently enough, Colin Chapman had died. There's a big question mark over that there. Lovely. His ex-wife, Christina Ferreira, testified in court. She testified that she had seen him forging letters, but they didn't believe her, and he got away with it.
1: Damn, pesky ex-wife.
2: Yeah, you can just imagine her walking in going, what are you at, John? I'm just forging letters here. See you later. (laughs)
1: Leave me alone.
2: (laughs) So I think the court basically decided, how did you know they were forging letters? So I think she got a bit...
1: ah, Yeah, uh, she was implementing herself in it.
2: That was how I got away with it again. As I said, his reputation was Tatter's then. The cases and charges against them came up again in the game end, of, end of the 90s. Declared bankrupt in 99, probably legal costs and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and probably still um, had some uh, tucked under the bed.
2: He got his mansion and grounds taken away. I think it was a 500-acre mansion in New York somewhere. Ooh, lovely. He died eventually on March 19th, 2005. But one of the biggest things to come out of the whole fiasco was basically the back of the future film. It didn't save the company, but it made the car iconic. Probably one of my favourite films yeah, Back to the Future.
1: Yeah, definitely up there just, for me.
2: I remember it being on Christmas Day, probably in 1988 or 89. Back then, you didn't have online streaming services. Once it went out in the cinema, you had to get it on videotape. We, did, we didn't even have a video player back in 1988, I don't think. So when it came on BBC One on Christmas Day, I was like, wow. Yep, you're glued to it. you seen the DeLorean. Um, it's just so cool. John actually wrote a letter to the screenwriters and the production company of Back to the Future and thanked them for making a car that he had poured his life into making uh, so iconic. It was a very big deal for him getting it on the big screen. and It basically made it a future classic and an icon of the modern world.
1: Yeah, well, there's actually a few of them local dust. I would say it's a sort of 50-50 split between guys that keep them good and restore them or do them up like the Back to the Future car. So you know, it does lean heavily on it, and then most of the young ones that know about them are of an interest in them. Even right up to our age and older is more than likely down to that film, because there's a lot of failed yeah, cars no. over the years, if and the
2: film. Made it, I'd give it? a cult status basically. The film.
1: That's it. Yeah, like you think of the amount of other failed cars over the years that just fade into nothing. Yet this thing has yeah. lived on and probably is more popular now than it ever was.
2: When everything went south with a car, it left massive warehouses of parts, yeah. which meant that could, you could basically rebuild and you could build your own Delorean if you got enough parts. That's right, I think, yeah. a company, I think it was here, that a company in Texas basically bought most of the parts. There rumors of them starting up production again here So y-
1: Yes, they're starting to produce them under like a s- small manufacturer uh, license, essentially. So they're not right. classed as a large manufacturer of cars, so they don't have to go through the same like, crash standards and safety standards. More like a kit car builder, as such, so they can get away Let's with building it as the old was.
2: Let's hope they put an LS in it or something. Yeah,
1: well, I was going to say VR six turbo, <laughs> but they're equally crap.
2: <laughs> so yeah, that, that brings the end to the story of Delorean, the rock star of the motor production world. He led quite an interesting life, put it that way.
1: Yeah, it's funny to think that guy was like he was on the track to greatness. He had actually hit greatness at one point. He was a you know he's the head of a, one of the big three companies and. He just kind of blew it all, probably more so on his own ego as in thinking, right, I'm going out to do this myself. You know, stay in your lane. If he stayed where he was, he'd have been fine and probably would have retired a multimillionaire and very happy.
2: Just always had that uh, drive to do something different. Yeah, you?
1: well, there's lots of people like that. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. One of the other things, yeah. just to noted down there, you were saying about the, the handling. It was actually built as a body on chassis setup and then the stainless steel body as well. The weight of that thing must be colossal. Trying to get that to handle it all. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a unibody. You know, you've you've extra weight. You're. It's essentially a, a
2: lowered Land Rover. Maybe Carl Chapman was going. Oh well, I'm getting paid well here. There's only so much I can do. Yeah, he did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll put my name to this. So getting plenty of money for it.
2: He's maybe doing that just to help fund Lotus racing. Yeah.
1: And locally, the factory is actually still there, like on the test track as well around it.
2: Yeah, because there was uh, there was a show out there four or five years ago, same Maynard though.
1: That's right, yeah. yeah. I actually didn't get to it and I wanted to, mainly just to see around the track. I think if you go onto Google Earth or Google Images, or sorry, Google is Google Earth, you like the satellite view, you can still see the track. It's DuPont basically built over it, didn't it? That's right, yeah. But the the track is still there, it's kind of grown over now and stuff, but if you want to hop a few fences, not that I would condone such a thing, you can get onto it and take a walk around it.
2: Yeah, it's, it's sad, that was Northern Ireland's only car production. And um, it went south rather quickly.
1: Yeah. If it's,
2: one, if it's one thing we're good at in Northern Ireland, it's screwing things up. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Titanic. DeLorean.
2: You want a boat built that'll last you a few days? We are a man. <laughs>
1: too soon, Nigel. Too soon.
0: <laughs> it was fine when it left here.
1: That's it, yeah. TLA warranty. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. That'll wrap it up, I think.
1: Yeah. Right. Thanks very much for that, Nigel. It was good. No sweat.
0: We'll move on now to our questions section. So first question comes from Buster Conrad. Okay. And he asks, why do your trailer hitches in Europe all look like erect penises?
2: Because we're a horny, horny lot. <laughs> I
1: I thought this was a strange question. And then when I Googled ours, it's like the swan neck type one. And then I Googled theirs, which is like a bolt through setup. It actually, he's right.
0: How does the bolt mm-hmm. through setup work then for like turning like a pivot point?
1: It's all pivoting on the ball hits as normal, so it's fine.
0: Oh, right, okay. Yeah. I, I assumed the ball part was the part he was referring to.
1: Oh, right. No, it's the whole thing. We'll, uh, <laughs> okay. we'll post pictures of these erect penises and balls for people.
0: <laughs> people will be just so excited to see these, actually.
2: Exactly. <laughs> I wonder if it to do with the size. It's all about the size, <laughs> Nigel.
0: <laughs> Hashtag team medium. Next question is from... um Envy. <laughs> <laughs> next question is from w underscore eight o r l y which is our friend borley yep he asks over this whole lockdown period have you had any rows or beatings of your other half and what have you guys been at to keep busy asking for ideas as i'm going out of my mind trying to keep busy
1: i follow borley on instagram and snapchat i think it is and he's keeping himself busy by torturing his poor partner
2: Oh, poor Becca. He, likes a, he likes a beer too,
1: so he does. He also enjoys a good beer, that's right. But I do feel sorry for his missus because he is torturing that poor woman.
0: <laughs> the the one, one the other day with the air one. horns.
1: Did you see that ah, one, Nigel? Yes, that's
0: the one. <laughs> the air <laughs> horns
1: is brilliant.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's lucky he not have a knife in her hand.
1: Yeah, well, she's a hairdresser. She's handy with a pair of scissors.
2: Well, she'll good luck finding hair and him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, keep him busy. I suppose it just depends what you have access to. If you've, we're lucky enough that we have a, a bit of land around the house, you know, we can do a few things around it. Working at the cars, you know, I know he's not he's not stuck in a flat the way some people would be, you know. So if you can get out and do something,
2: I I feel sorry for some of the in an apartment that would just be absolute torture.
1: Yeah, you're yeah. you're in a cell there. Like Lee and I were barbecuing the other night, and you're just sort of looking around, you thinking you're lucky to have what you have. Yeah, but yeah, keeping busy, you know. YouTube, there's a lot of content on YouTube to watch, and if you're into like technical stuff, anyone wants to drop me a message, I can drop them so much stuff like that. It's it'll keep them busy for days. Working on projects, whether
2: Disney Channel was a big thing for me. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I've noticed your consumption of the Marvel films.
2: Yeah, I'm just I'm in the, I'm just
0: starting End Games for. Me.
1: Yeah, no, it's, there's plenty out there, but it's just whether you can stick the repetitiveness of some stuff is the main thing.
0: Well, I've been doing my quizzes. I did an easter egg hunt for Connor today
1: which we're part way through
0: (laughs) which kept me amused greatly coming up with little riddles and things and hiding things around the house
1: and I'm a big child so I just enjoy doing it
0: yeah (laughs) but yeah I I know it's hard I think a a thing that's neglected too is actually reading
1: yeah big time I really enjoy a book and if I get furloughed from work or let off there's a lot of books that I need to read that I'll get through
0: yeah, I've been reading a lot more recently, even, and I do read a bit when I'm away with work all the time. In the evenings, I would read before I go to bed, but even more so now.
2: If you watch TV all the time, you're just—it's not that you're rotting your brain. It's just—it's not productive, you
0: know what I mean?
1: There's—it's like anything. There's bound to be a saturation limit you can reach so you're actually taking things in.
2: Yeah, TV. A bit of exercise. I go out for runs or do a workout or something like that there, um, and then. I'm still working, so I don't get excited about work, but it's at least it's something
1: to... It breaks, of... breaks the monotony.
2: Yeah. Um, you
1: never thought you'd say that about work.
2: know <laughs> you're talking. <laughs> um, and then, as I think we're saying to the start there, the odd, odd quiz, online quiz and Zoom chat's good as well, just to touch base with people and have a bit of crack.
1: Yeah, that's right. We should actually get Borley in on that. Yeah. Or anybody who wants to join, drop us a message and get in on it. It's good fun.
2: But I was in a quiz on Friday night. So a few ones from Cumber here and we took the prestigious wooden spoon badly so <laughs> <laughs> we, we got our asses handed to us, it. but it's alright because I think the couple that won were of the medical profession and the ones in second place, one was an IT software consultant and her husband was a senior teacher in a school.
1: So they're fairly smart
2: Yeah <laughs> Yeah <laughs> I shouted halfway through the quiz. When's the questions about football and cars?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just end up so drunk on those The quizzes. is great. No,
2: I was drinking. What was I drinking? Coke? Coke?
1: I, Cola, that is. I was drinking pints of Jack Daniels like they're going out of fashion.
2: Oh, very good. <laughs> and
1: it, we, we started one at half seven at night and I ended up really drunk and I thought, oh, it must be near 12 o'clock. And I looked at my phone and it was half nine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> To a good crack. I went to a a table quiz, like a fundraiser thing, a few years ago, with a group of friends I went to university with, and one of the rounds in the quiz was about Dallas, the TV show. And Uh-oh. obviously, like we didn't have a clue, <laughs> and I I think we wrote on our sheet before we handed it in. And in the end, it was like, can we have a couple of points because none of us were born when Dallas was on TV. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it just reminded me how stupid I am. That's I mean. <laughs> yeah,
1: a lot of things remind me of that.
2: Yeah, thanks for it.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Next question is from Ryan Cudlip. Yep. He asks, if you could visit a car factory for a tour inside, what would it be? I was lucky enough to have a tour of Pagani a couple of years ago when I was in Italy. With the Zonda being my money, no object car, it was a dream come true. I want to go to Wolfsburg. I just do.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big thing for all of us to say you're the same, Nigel.
2: Yes, um, if I could go
0: back in time,
2: I think I would like to go to either the BMW Motorsport Division that done all the DTM cars, or yeah. Prodrive in the nineties when they were building the Cray Subaru.
1: I would like to. If there was a list of things like where they don't do factory tours of certain manufacturers, I would get on some of those. You know, something that you can't just yeah. already go and do. But some of the
2: see when I see, see when I see YouTube videos and they're going around. A motorsport workshop and the cars, even the likes of McLaren, the F1 car—it's just so interesting to see and round what's going on. Half built cars, about that really. Yeah, um, I think that part of that there is following the rallies over the years, and there's a couple of rally car builder folks not so close. There's DG- DGM up and carried off. Yeah, back in the day, like they were building lots and lots of rally cars, and a fella that used to work on my dad, actually managed the workshop, so I got to look around at the old time.
1: That's pretty cool. So,
2: yeah, that's, that aspect of factories, but yeah, I would like to go to Wolfsburg. couple of the guys that went over to where they've been to all three, and they say the BMW one's the best of the lot.
1: That's interesting, yeah. The
2: Audi ones very disappointing, they were saying.
1: Oh, well, that's Audi's for you. You know, Volkswagen.
2: Keep it, keep it boring. Keep it boring, Audi. <laughs> I
1: um, yeah. As much as I'm not a supercar guy, probably some of the supercar ones would be my go-to, just to simply see some of the engineering setups they have.
2: Yeah, Koenigsegg.
1: Oh yeah, that's
2: there's, there's some YouTube videos there of some of uh, the car YouTubers going around. I think it was Mister JWW. He done an interview with your fella, Coney Zig,
1: Ah uh, um, Christian, like, Robin's friend.
2: He is an obsessed engineer. Like,
1: see, yeah, I think that's what appeals to me about that. It's the sort of engineering inside of it to me is yeah. what draws me to it. Not so much the cars, but the technology yeah. and the stuff that goes yeah. into building them.
2: He's so, he's solely driven. By excellence and innovation, basically. You
1: can see it in the cars. Yeah,
0: yeah it nice. a good shot. Um, next question from S14 OCP. While driving, I love to look out for abandoned cars. Any cool stories of things you've found?
2: I have, well, sort of two. A friend years ago, this is going back 25 years ago, he would uh, do a bit of contract work in houses for another fella, and so he sent the different houses to do jobs on he phoned me one day and he says if a car might interest you I called around this house it was just outside Cumber and it was a Mark II Polo Coupe AS it had basically been sat for 10 years I think I bought it for 50 quid but I didn't know what it was worth oh lovely I bought it it was all oxidised and stuff I, I had a Coupe AS at the time bought it for 50 quid and flipped it made myself a couple hundred quid <laughs> oh
1: I, I'd love to have something like that now
2: but that's not really a boring find. I suppose the best one ever was when we Mark one it was the girl I went to university, university with and yeah, it was her grandest car, nearly from new, um, her dad drove it, or she drove it, when a university said she'd never drive it, or never sell it. I kept pestering her, pestering her, and out of the blue about six years ago, we kept bumping into each other because we worked in the same sort of department in the civil service, and about six years ago, she phoned me and says, I'm going to sell the car here if you're interested. And I was with at her grandma's house and that's where it was kept in two hours and had it bought there and then.
1: You are on the ball with that one?
2: Yeah, I think we were in the middle of Belfast shopping with Laura. And I basically turned to Laura and said, whatever you have to get, get it now. We need to leave. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I can understand that one.
2: Opportunities, I like guess, don't come up too often. Let's go. <laughs> I,
1: I would have left her there.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's money for a cab. See you later.
1: <laughs> I'll pick you up on a Mark 1.
2: So I arrived at it, and it was it had been sat in the shed for ten years. It was up in axle stands, no brakes, didn't start. The car was scrap. With the help of the genius Andrew Maxwell, put a new carburetor on it, completely redone all the brakes and bushes and stuff, new suspension, and uh, away she went.
1: It's such a cool wee car that I love it.
2: Uh, it's quite unique. It's a E13 driver. It's a rare colour and rare interior and stuff. It was pretty cool.
1: And it's the interior is immaculate on it.
2: Uh, a wee tiny bit of bolster wear on the driver's side, but yeah, apart from us, it's 100%. And what year is it? 83. <laughs>
1: yeah, forgive that.
0: <laughs> um, We have quite a good one. Back when Connor and I first started going out, we took a notion one day to go up the coast for a drive. I don't know what we were doing, really, but we were just farting around. We drove past this kind of, looked like a farm or a house or something, kind of set back a bit off the road, and you can see there was a load of old cars lying out in the in the field, in the yard beside the house. And from the road, which is maybe a couple hundred yards down, my my radar was strong and I could see that there was some Novas. And I was like, oh, there's Novas up there. And Connor was you like, smelt, yeah, I see them, I see them. <laughs> you, you smelt the rust, Lee. You smelt the could, rust. Yeah, that's what it was.
1: <laughs> they were on the coast. They were very rusty.
0: <laughs> but one of the things that I really needed for my Nova at the time project car Because mine was a five-door, I had got four new doors. We had driven to Donegal one time, that's a whole other story, to go and get them. The five doors compared to the three doors, because the fuel filler neck sits in a different position, higher up on the rear arch, there's like a rubber ring, like an insert, that goes in around the fuel filler neck, which Mm -hmm. isn't on the three doors. You couldn't get them, you couldn't buy them anymore, and because the five doors obviously were... Rarer than the three doors, you just couldn't get this rubber insert anymore. So we drove up, and sure enough, one of the Novas lying in this field was a five door, and the rubber ring was still on it,
1: and immaculate.
0: Yeah, and nice. we were like, oh. So I can't remember what happened. Did we drive around, or we kind of hang around waiting for somebody to come and see us? Or? We
1: we couldn't find who owned it, or there was no, you know, there was no sign of like a phone number for anybody or that property. So uh-huh. what I did, what I would deem to be suspicious and hung around them and hooked in around them and hoped that someone would see it and think, what are those guys at? And come down and see. And sure enough, it worked. So we got chatting to the guy, told him what we were after, and struck a bit of a deal with him for that and two bumpers and a other, few other bits, yeah. Other non metal bits, and then come back another day and lifted them. So it worked out pretty well. Good parts. Nice we find on a random drive.
0: Happy days. Next question then is from lurch 224
2: Shout out to Chris, was chatting to him in Cumber during the week there. Big time listener,
1: fellow Cumberian.
0: He says, "What attracted you to German cars, and what are your top three favorite non-German cars?"
2: That's a really good question.
1: I like that question.
2: There's two things that attract me to German cars. First thing, I think I talked about this in the first episode. Was basically, I, gr- I grew up. My formative years were when my father had German cars. Uh-huh. And then the second thing—the second thing that drew me to German cars is the finish and the quality.
1: Yeah, I'd say you're right there. Even the older stuff is a lot better than stuff of that era.
2: When I slam a door, I don't want to be, Don't want to sound like a tin box, basically. No.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and there was another half of that question,
2: was
0: What are your top three favorite non-German cars? I have so
2: many going ahead. Sorry, do you want to answer the first question there? I answer. I, I yes. Yeah, so we'll do that
1: next. thing. for me. Attraction to German cars was, um, and again, I think we talked about this in earlier episodes, was me going to Edition 38 with a group of friends. And it wasn't the finish as such about them or the quality of them. It was the styling at the time. And I really, really liked how like subtle things were. And even looking back, it wasn't that subtle compared to now. But everything was like you know low and wide and aggressive, but subtle modifications. And that's what I'm really into. It was the scene that attracted me more than the cars. What would you, Lee?
0: I guess I'm kind of the same. It was more the same, and I got into German cars specifically more from meeting you and and some of our other friends. People that I hung around with were into Volkswagens and BMWs, so that's kind of how I got into them. Because before, I was a kind of at a distance appreciator of all cars. Uh-huh. I like cars and motorbikes and that kind of thing, but no specific genre. I just appreciated. Nice cars, nice bikes, but it didn't really matter what they were.
1: Yeah, because you had you had Fords, you had Jap cars and stuff. for yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah, it was more the the people and, and the and the scene, I suppose, so in the inverted commas. But and the shows, the Volkswagen shows were always much better than yeah. the others around the time but, that I was getting into cars.
2: Jamie Orr summed it up well when he was in the Revival Modern podcast, and he was talking about the VW scene. And he basically says anywhere in the world you can go to and there'll be a VW scene somewhere. That doesn't apply to most car manufacturers or communities. But Volkswagen, you can almost be guaranteed you go to anywhere in the world and there'll be a VW scene.
1: Yeah, whether it's air-cooled or water-cooled, there's always going to be something. Yeah. Very good. So what's your top three non-German then, Nigel?
2: Oh, Non-German. Um, I'm a real fanboy of FD RX-7s. I just yeah. love them. Absolutely love them. Um, ever since uh, a fella in Calinchy, just down the road from here, he imported one And probably the end of the... Uh, no, about 2001, 2002, he imported a highly tuned one. And I remember he used to come to the Cruises. Uh, it was a white one. on like uh, I don't know if they were inky or what wheels they were, but they were three-spoke. Uh-huh. Um, carbon fiber spoiler. I just thought it was absolutely awesome. There's I no think I remember it. that car. It's a boy he owns a piling company. Also, have a real soft spot for phase one or phase two 106 rallies. One mate had a 205 rally, and then another fella, Gilpin, he had a phase one and two phase two 106 rallies.
1: I really like just, those.
2: They're just a car with a good engine and a fantastic chassis and light.
1: Yeah, they're a proper driver's car.
2: I, th- I think from factory they had the heads were flowed from factory, they had a high lift cam, I think the had a light and flywheel they just the rev like a VTEC. I'm pretty we sure they've no
1: power steering as well in them. Everything's very stripped back yeah. and basic.
2: I think a lot of them ended up doing the Clubman series rallies or yeah. road, road off basically.
1: And a lot of guys swapped 16 valve engines into them from like the the GTIs as well.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I think they're a fantastic car. Um, my third car then would be a Mark II Escort. My dad used to have them, and I just just love them.
1: I think that's a strong choice for anyone.
2: So that's mine rounded up.
1: For me, then. Uh, as everyone probably knows I'm a secret Honda fanboy so I'd probably have to go for an EG Civic wouldn't really matter what trim or finish it would be because I would end up turning it apart and building it how I wanted but I really like the look of the EGs a friend of mine Simon had one on hydraulics and three piece work wheels and a B18 from an Integra in it and ever since I've seen it it was just like I need one of those <laughs> um, after that I'd probably go American again something into like the the Hellcats, the Demons, They're fairly modern cars, which is not like me, but ridiculous power and just burnout machines. That's really a bit of me there. Third, I don't know. Third, I'd probably end up, to be honest, I think actually. A
2: as well, Connor, no?
1: Yeah, the JAP, say the Civic would come into it, but for the third one, definitely, I would end up back on a Vauxhall and it probably would be a Corsa B.
2: I don't know what it is about Corsas, but I always found them like a, a lazy Nova or something. I just
0: didn't. I never <laughs> wanted them. I agree, Nigel. I'm right there with you. See,
1: I I, I rallied Novas back in the day and um, probably had my fill of them.
0: The evolution from
2: the Nova to Corsa was the same for me as a Mark II to a Mark
1: III. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's a very different car. You no, know, I okay. like to do like a 16-16 valve Corsa B, five stud conversion rear discs. Roll cage, you know, like a half track style car. What about you like? I'll
2: be pissed. I'll be pissed.
1: I
0: will be i do not know. There's so many. I mean, as I said, I like all cars. And although I've kind of positioned myself where I'm kind of a German car enthusiast now, I still appreciate all cars in general. So obviously Nova is like top of the list for me. No matter what, it doesn't matter. As you said, some of those modern American cars, some of the older American muscle cars and stuff, I love those. I love an R34 Skyline. I think I mentioned before a VR4 Mitsubishi Galant.
1: Yeah, that's on your list.
0: I love the old Evos, the rally car type Evos, like 4 and 5, but at the same time I still love the Evo 9 estate, I like yeah. an estate car in general. There's so many. Like it depends what I'd be using it for as well. Like if I was gonna go out in the morning and buy a pickup, it'd be Japanese end of story. Whether it'd be a Shogun or an X Trail or a you know something Pathfinder, any of those type of things. Ugh, I don't know. It's too hard. But yeah,
1: any any of those three,
0: <laughs> any of the above. But Nova's number one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that'll be in, that'll be in your gravestone, Lee. Nova's, Nova's number, number one.
0: one. <laughs> Next question, then, is from Dimitri Garcia, and he asks, What's the most unusual thing you've ever eaten?
2: Mine's short and sweet here. I was, I think it was my first holiday to Spain, and i seen these things, and they look like onion rings, and they weren't, they were calamari. But it was gross.
1: Squid rings, is that?
2: Yeah. yeah. Wasn't for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about you, Lee?
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty picky, so it would be unusual for me to try anything mm-hmm. weird and wonderful. I did or I did on several occasions, I used to drink um, unpasteurized milk straight from the cow because a friend of my uncle's used to own a dairy farm up in Tyrone and uh, I tell you what, that's the best way you can drink milk. It is absolutely unbelievable. So possibly that.
2: This, 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 is, this is how old I am. We used to have a cow beside our house. That was our milk supply
0: for years. <laughs> so that's not unusual for you, but it was unusual for me.
1: <laughs> for myself, I grew up, we'd done a lot of hunting and some of the things I ate, I thought were pretty normal. And then it turns out when you speak to other people, they're not very normal. But like uh-huh. most people listen to this, I probably think pheasant, pigeon, you know, it's all, I to me that's normal. The more obscure of those things I probably had a squirrel. And squirrel is really nice. The only thing is, if you barbecue it, when you skin it and put it in the barbecue, it looks like a rat, which isn't that appealing that, looking, it, but it is quite that tasty. That reminds me
2: of something. It looks like a lot of work for very little. It is, yeah. Yeah,
1: rabbit's a bit like that too, but it is very nice.
2: What, what does squirrel taste of? Chicken?
1: It's gamey. It's just, it's like a dark meat and kind of gamey, but it is nice. There's just not very much to it.
2: gamey meats now. What's that? Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan
1: of, like, Amy's tasting meat. Ah, right, right. No, I I grew up and stuff like that, so I love it. one time, I just
2: sort of went, no, it's not
1: for me. One of the, Lee will probably tell you, one of the first times, I don't even know if we were going out officially or not, but I went to Lifter at her house one night, and she opened the door, and I had a tinfoil dish of pigeon sliced up, and was munching away at it, and was like, do you want some? It was lovely.
0: (laughs) To be fair, it was delicious.
1: I like to throw people out of their comfort zone.
0: I do like that kind of thing too, I must say. Um, Rick and Ralph has a couple of questions for us here. So his first is favorite Wu Tang song.
1: I don't know if that's for you, Nigel, is it? Uh,
2: not a big Wu Tang thing. What can we speak?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's easy for you to say. Uh,
2: probably Gravel. That's the only song I really know Wu Tang.
0: Yeah, I was going to pick that because I must say I'm not super familiar with them, and I but I do like that song very much. I probably do know a few others, but that's the only one I could think of off the top of my head.
1: Gravel Pit's probably the one that got me into them back years ago. It's sort of, it was big on MTV and attracted me to them. And then ever since, I've just been a fan of them. I probably have to go with Triumph, but there's so many good ones. Uh, a good friend of ours, Stefan, he and I are the fattest white people you'll ever meet. But when we stick we'd hang on, we are far from it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you walk about wearing your different color Bloods and creeps, that sort of thing. Oh, I'm slinging Scoring.
0: drugs on the way to work. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> a couple more like comments here from Ronan underscore H21. He says, lockdown is ruining my rebuild. Shed is 30 minutes away and we're on a two kilometer limit. And he also says, I'm also trying my hardest not to buy BBS LMs in Japan as they're silly cheap. And I say, buy them.
1: Oh, get them bought. <laughs>
2: That's, that's bad timing for Ronan because he had a bit of misfortune with the engine there recently so it'd yeah, a perfect time for stripping it down.
1: He's a supercharged R32 engine Mark II, a fire and ice edition and he had it running really sweet and spun a burn, if we're th- if I'm right on that. And I don't know
2: exactly what happened, just uh, got rod knocked one of Yeah. the out before lockdown.
1: And those guys in the south of Ireland are getting it really tight at the minute because their lockdown actually states that they're not allowed to Travel any more than two kilometers from home, so it's like a mile and a half. Did, so, did,
2: did you hear what TJ said? It's a, it's a two and a half grand fine or six months in jail. That's probably maximum, but I don't yeah. Think they're
1: but that's the risk you're taking. Bread, like. I wonder could he move in with the Mark II and work on it from there? Air bed could be a good things, job.
0: Yeah, away you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's a pity. Like this is the time you would be working on this stuff, and then in that situation, he's yeah. not getting it.
0: Another couple um, here yeah, from but,
2: uh, buy LMS if they're cheap. Yes, by LM's
1: indeed.
0: Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Another couple here from Rick and Ralph. Um, he says, only three higher cars left in the world. Pick one and why. Convertible yellow V6 Mustang, Cornflower blue AMC Gremlin, or a 92 Astro Van?
1: I'm going to go with a Mustang because America, even though the Americans won't agree that a V6 convertible Mustang is America, but... For me, it is as close as I'm going to get.
0: Yeah, I'd be okay with it. Like, I'm not prejudiced against a V a V6 versus whatever other Although if you're getting a 5-8 V8, you would be. I mean, I would like that. But, you know, convertible, I don't really like yellow in general. So that might put me off a little bit. But if it was for a hard card to just go and hoon about and play American Badass loudly out of the speakers, I'd be right there.
1: Because yeah, that's what America's all about.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I. I had to look up what the other two vehicles were, and uh, the Gremlin looks class. It looks yeah. like somebody forgot to finish the drawing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It looks like someone lopped the back end of it.
2: The Astrovan looks cool. I quite like a little I
1: Maybe it's because we don't get any of those three cars, but I would actually take any of them.
2: Yeah, me too. I was looking up to see the Astrovan. It, it's a real popular van. Millions of them sold.
1: Yeah, they're really, really popular over there, and there's still loads of them on the road.
2: I think it's like it's like the Transit of America, maybe. maybe. Yeah. I'm completely wrong,
0: I don't
1: know.
2: They're just everywhere
0: couple more here. from
2: all about, that va- all about that van life I go for the <laughs> van. <laughs> uh,
0: next one from Raf is, what's the first thing you're going to do when the lockdown is over?
2: I couldn't decide. Um, I would uh, I would be getting together with friends again or just going on a cool drive somewhere in one of the cars. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Or, co- or combine the both, get go out and the drive with friends, and go and have dinner somewhere or something like
0: that. Yeah, I was thinking the same, but t- for me, it'll literally be go further than the driveway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally stepping out onto the road.
1: <laughs> Three and a half weeks, Lee still hasn't left the property. <laughs>
0: That's wild. But yeah, I can't wait to get back in the car. I'll probably have forgotten how to drive by then. Do you, here, do you want me to lend you a dog? You know, she can
2: tend to take it for walks.
0: <laughs> I'll probably get in the car. That'll be novelty enough. Go visit my family and then go meet up with friends and go for ice cream. All in the one yeah. trip.
1: <laughs> I'm still getting the drive because I'm going to work, but I want to go, well, I want to just go for a proper drive, see friends, see family. And I really want to go to the cinema because I miss going to the cinema.
0: Yeah, that'll be good. Final one from Raf is, well, it's a comment actually. He says, Connor needs to marry Lee after the lockdown because she tolerated him the entire time. Um, Raf, it's not over yet.
1: <laughs> it's far from over. <laughs> we will actually probably kill each other some stage, But for a couple who see each other two days out of seven a week, generally, we're doing fairly well three weeks in.
0: Yeah, I must
2: say. It's a it's a big adjustment for a lot of people with yeah. I
1: think you'll test quite a few relationships coming up to this. Yeah. We're good though, we're good. Lee loves me. I was, so speaking, far. I, was <laughs>
2: speak, I was speaking to a policeman there and he was saying that domestic abuses going through the roofs and on. I
1: actually seen that on social media somewhere. That's crazy. Like all all joking aside, that is fucking ridiculous.
2: Some people are used to being out in the house or out of the house away at the pub and they'll spend a lot of time with their family and going from that to just with them all the time yeah there's some maniacs who just can't think can't process
1: it I always find that weird because I've always worked in like quote unquote male dominated environments you know construction manufacturing that sort of thing and you always hear guys complain about their wives and kids and I sort of think to myself why do you bother having a family so I'd say those guys are the guys that are potentially trying to beat up or shoot their wives at the minute (laughs) but to sum up Lee loves me I'll be fine I might kill her.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. You can try. Um, next question is from David Jack Hill. He says, I know it's probably been asked a thousand times, but has there been any more thought on Dubshed? Will it even happen this year if everything calms down? I'm gutted to lose my first indoor slot after five years of attendance. Sad, crying face.
2: Sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the um, the Rona's going to dictate that one, on the it, Nigel.
2: It's all up in the, the air until we see what's what's what happens. Basically, um, who's who's to say that this might roll on for months and months, and they might let mass gatherings happen again for who how long. So. Even this year. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's
1: it's not a nice thing to think of, but there's no knowing what's going to happen.
2: The guys, the venue um, managers and stuff there, be super cool. Like, they're very flexible and all the rest of it. So when we can, we will make it happen. But yeah. there's more important things than it, I'm afraid. Yep. We'll get you squeezed in again soon, mate. it would be good.
1: <laughs> that wee Paul built pretty cool. It'll be well worth yeah. it getting indoor.
2: I actually, I actually raced him at Enniskill in the Karatev.
1: Right. Oh, back before he put the bigger turbo and stuff into it? Yeah. Yeah. Very good.
2: It was bumper to bumper up until about 80 or 90 mile an hour.
1: And then what happens?
0: I start to pull away a
2: little bit. Ah,
1: very good. (laughs) Up the old school. And and
2: we pull those are are a great setup.
1: Yeah, they're seriously capable of a car. Uh,
0: Next question from our friend Robin at Studio 10 Detailing. He asks, One slightly more expensive do-it-all car, or lots of cars to do different jobs? I think I can answer this one just (laughs) without even answering it. I already have six or seven cars, so... Obviously, I like more cars.
1: <laughs> yeah, the fact that I have six cars in the yard and none of them finished answers that question for me. What about you, Nigel?
2: Guess, guess what I'm going to say. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> We're all in that game, are we?
0: Mine are on the road, though. Mine are. Ah,
1: uh, thanks very much.
0: <laughs> Not all of them, Nigel. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I nearly taxed
2: I nearly tax the crowd there. So I did, so.
0: oh, yeah. good Esse-
1: man. Essential runs.
2: That'll help no, no, if you're no, stopped. <laughs> this whole shit show, you know? No, should, no,
0: Mr. Officer, it's nearly taxed.
1: You should be dealing that yeah. into work.
0: I was
2: actually nearly going to take it on this morning into
0: work. <laughs> love it. <laughs> that will be like a red rag to the police. They'd pull you in straight
2: away.
1: Eh, there's enough ones on the road doing it. Why not? As long as you're going to work, doing yeah. anything wrong.
2: Well, I've got my wee key worker letter and all that crap.
1: And... There you go.
0: ID underscore exclusive asks, well, he does, it's not a question, but he has a comment. He says, been good chatting with you, love the podcast. Ah, so, he's a good guy. Yeah. Thank you.
1: He's a sales guy for Eddie. He's on modern stuff. And then recently there, he's got himself back into a B5S4 project. He sent me a few oh, photos of it. Cool. That's nice. So he's in a sort of semi-resto mod restoration on it. So that's going to be nice.
2: Is he an American then, He is, he? yeah. I'm glad I can understand this. Yeah, he's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that Bagged VRS asks, how many crates of beer are you guys drinking because mine's many on upon many. <laughs> well, I don't drink beer, but if you're talking bottles of wine, quite a few. Are
1: you on the beer, Nigel?
2: I have to say, I'm, I'm not really. Um, I could see it being a very slippery slope if you get into a habit.
1: Well, I, I've you know? noticed that with myself, because I don't drink so, half as much as I used to anymore. And all week, I've just been like, oh, I'm not driving, I'll grab a beer. I'll grab a beer, and it's it is becoming a habit. It's a good I've, habit, though, it's fine.
2: I drink a lot of tea now. That's the only thing. Is tea, I, 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 I eat buns, so that means one thing. I'm getting fatter.
1: <laughs> Bun, buns equal Tums.
2: Yeah,
0: that's it. Next question is from Conor sorry, sorry, before we move
2: on, oh. there was nearly a national crisis there two weeks ago when they shut the off-licenses down.
0: Do that's
1: right, yep. Typical Ireland.
0: And Yeah, they had to get them declared as essential services or something. Yeah, yeah it was I, like three... three Three days of pure panic.
2: We'll <laughs> th- never be able to drink again. And then Stormont just sort of went, uh look, we better get this changed."
1: Yeah, I think they actually did close them and then reopen them again, didn't they?
2: Oh, it wasn't less the essential trade, so they had to close. <laughs> it was the Tuesday evening, and I think they had them reopen again by the Friday.
1: Oh, you had to get the weekend drinks in.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Next question is from Connor Old. Uh, he asks, "What is the biggest oh shit moment you've had when working on a car?"
1: I probably have two. Going back to my Mark II days, I had it up on axle stands on a slight gradient. Like, not even a massive gradient, but it was enough, obviously, that it didn't like it. And it was lying under it. I don't know if it was hauling on something or what, and the car actually fell off the axle stands, and I managed to roll out from underneath it when it was falling. That was a brown trousers moment. And then the Mark III needed a bit of welding once, not that Mark Threes would ever need that. You goes around the back arch, and there's a foam block inside there, I think it's for sound deadening and I forgot to remove it and it went on fire and that was a proper oh shit moment. It really
0: was because all sense went out the window and Connor literally panicked and started flapping and going, oh quick, get me a bottle of water, get me something. And I calmly walked to the bottom of the workshop, lifted the fire extinguisher, walked back up and handed it to him while he was having a heart attack.
1: (laughs) I'm not usually a panicker in situations like that, but I probably shit myself at that stage. I was like, I've no, actually now that I think about it, we also nearly set fire to the workshop painting the polo at one stage, but I'll not go into that. That one's too embarrassing. (laughs) I think one of our listeners, Craney, he landed in the middle of it as the fire was going on. And I mean, there was a proper fire. He actually helped us put it out, so. We'll we'll leave that for another oh, day. Hi,
2: Connor, how's it going? Oh, see, you've got a fire going. Happy days. How <laughs> you <laughs> get the marshmallows? Yeah,
1: pa- <laughs> painting, a, painting a car inside a a timber workshop, like a a proper workshop where they make kitchens and other timber products, and then setting fire to the place wasn't great. What about you, <laughs> Nigel? Anything?
2: You remember the purple twenty four valve car I had?
1: I do, yeah.
2: I bought that out of England. Already had the twenty four valve the R six conversion done on it. As a prolific Um, show car? Porsche Interior and TT Dash and all the rest of it. I was coming out of work one day, I was driving it, and one of the drive shafts, the the, the passenger side drive shaft, came off, leaving me stranded. Basically, whoever put the drive shaft on hadn't tightened the bolts tight enough. Oh, lovely. I discovered that it came off, got it jacked up, got the drive shaft back on, but I discovered that when the drive shaft came off at speed, it had damaged the gearbox casing. Yeah. Man of limited means at the time. There was only a small leak, like leaping out of the gearbox. So I yep. thought, if I just put some metal putty on this, it'll hopefully stop it from leaking. Okay. Right? Full bodge on, you know? Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I've um, done similar with sumps before.
2: So <laughs> I jacked the car up for axle stands. I thought to myself, right, I'll uh, jack it up here. And the only way to see if this is still going to leak is when it's driving. So I'll jack it up. Stick it in first gear and let it run. Get underneath it and see if it's weakening for the point where the wee tiny bit of damage was done.
1: Yeah, you get the oil flowing through it.
2: Yeah, off it went, Put it in first gear, second gear, third gear. Car was going. It jumped underneath it. Happy days, it's not leaking anymore. At the same time, I heard a cl- cl- clunk, clunk noise. The crado had the full Mark IV loom in it. Okay. So what happens to 10 mile an hour in the Mark IV Golf?
1: It locks the doors. So the car was
2: locked <laughs> doing 40 mile an hour in axle stands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know this story. <laughs> I, I was up the yard at the farm on my own going, what the hell? What did of I course do? There, were three, there was three quarters of a tank of fuel in it. You going to run
1: for days.
2: <laughs> going to run for days. Damn efficient VR6, you know? what, what did you do? Engineering. I got I ran down to the house to my mum's. I watched too many 80s films and I got a metal coat hanger. Uh-huh. Slightly different door cards. And luckily, the be door pins in them were chains for something with a bit of grip on them.
1: Yeah.
2: I used the metal coat hanger and I pulled the door back a wee tiny bit. Luckily, it, it let me in the ceiling no more. Got the the locking pin up okay. So I had to get the handle pulled. I had to, I had to press the unlock button. That's what it was. Sorry. I had, I had to through press the, edit. the unlock I had to press the unlock button first of all and then forget what it was about the handle, it was something really weird. But it was just a handling for half an hour while the car ticked over basically. That's yeah, why. So that was Um I went I went pure white, basically when it was happening.
1: I'd um, imagine you did, so. yeah. Especially hearing never, that sound never, but like, oh no.
2: Ever been so glad to get a car in my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's brilliant. What about you, Lee? Nothing? Are you sensible?
0: I'm sure I have something, but I nothing that Springs to mind. mind just right now. There
1: <laughs> we go. I'll come Wanna back
0: have? to you on that one if I think of anything. Uh last question then is from Mark Hill WTB. And he says, bit different, but as I'm updating my van, what would be your preferred van to mod?
2: Big shout out to Mark. Mark's been doing a lot of our video work for Dubshed the last few months.
1: Yeah, uh, the stuff Mark does is great.
2: He's a car guy at heart. He has a what is a two thousand and five transporter moment
1: yeah, I've actually been following them. No, it's not
2: 2005, I think it's 2012.
1: Yeah, I've been following them, working on that, it's looking good. So what about you, Nigel, what would you go for?
2: For the modified van? Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of T5s.
1: Ah, T5's nice now.
2: I really like Robins.
0: Oh, I love Robins' van, it's so cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is, it, is Robins a T6?
2: It's 2014. 14. Is it T5.1 or T6? T6 is just out, is it not?
1: I'm not sure, um, but whatever. Our
2: van knowledge is astonishing. Right it now. is, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I know about practical work vans, but for like Volkswagen vans that I can't afford, I don't know very much about them. But seeing Robins, well,
2: I, I ha- my, my white one's a T4. Ricky Main's old blue one was a T5. Yeah, and then you're real. you the facelift then. That must T5. be Robins
1: in the T5.1. Seeing he his, likes- what does he run, 20s or 21s with air? 21s with air, yeah. Yeah, that's class. And he has a lot of wee subtle mods done to that to like make the cabin feel a lot more like a car as opposed to more yes. Spartan, like a van. And I've
2: actually drove that van a couple of times on static and air. And air has actually improved the driving of it.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. And then you still have the practicality of a van that you can load. Like I've seen him putting 125 or 250 Scrambler he has. Oh, well. yeah. For dropping like, into for the carbon, back of it. Yeah. Plus, obviously, for his business too, something like that's really cool. Yeah, we're probably all in the same wavelength of that. What you would go for?
0: Yeah, probably. that type of and there's van. So, there's
2: there's so much there's so much stuff in the aftermarket you can buy for them too, and just can go to town on them. That company, uh, Mark, put me on to stitches and steel. They do a lot of accessories for vans and stuff. Uh-huh. There.
1: Yeah, for for yeah. a work van, I'd probably be looking something French, to be honest, going from experience. But for something to own and modify, Volkswagen the uh, transporters are brilliant.
2: It's hard to
1: look past them, really. Like, isn't it? Oh, it really is. Yeah, such good driving and uh, the quality of them is unbelievable. Just they're a fortune. When you have to do anything to them. <laughs> that's the downside like, of it.
2: I think like to put air in it, you need about four grand. Oh, lovely. Whew.
1: Yeah, that mm. makes my bum clench. <clears throat> yeah,
0: I like that yeah. size of a van, though.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know,
0: I don't even really think of a car-based van or like a you know a Berlingo or any of. Th- that kind of thing. As a van. As a van. When you say van, doesn't immediately pop into my mind. I think of Transits. transit, transporter, or bigger again, sprinters. You know, I don't think of those necessarily as a van, even though I know they are, but yeah. it's not the first thing that pops into my head. I always think like that big, as the Americans would say, like a panel van, like a square big van. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like a decent sized van. Yeah.
2: It's amazing how far vans have come to. Because I've been using work vans for twenty five years. Yeah, and like we used to get LDV vans. Oh yeah. Back <laughs> the end of the 90s. Yeah, they my dad had those in the forestry. <laughs> piles of turd.
1: Oh, they're bad. <laughs> British built, British goodness. Um, like recently,
2: in work, we've got we've got Renault Peugeot vans, and I have to say that the Peugeot vans are very very good.
1: My dad, we always had a Zuzu vans when we were growing up because he was a builder, and that's where I learned to drive in with like four-speed, five-speed turbo diesel, column change. I remember, oh, jeez, I was maybe five or six and, like, driving them across fields and I couldn't even reach the pedals. So I had to, like, stand up on the floor, rest my ass against the seat and, like, clutch, like, lift my f- foot forward to clutch and then work away on the column change. <laughs> it was... That's that's the sort of thing I learned to drive in. That and a, yeah. the, a Yugo, if you remember those. My mom had one of those.
2: The last time I was at UD um last year 2019, I was aware with with actually Robin and Andre
0: uh-huh.
2: of all the things we were looking at around the show, it was the transporters. some of the transporters there were just absolutely awesome. yeah they, they we were flying home that night and we just went if it wasn't for the fans that were there that, day, that show would have been ultimate wrapped. dubs yeah
1: yeah that's a that's a sore point for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one.
2: They basically got their show over
0: and then there was lockdown
2: this year. He Not
1: got the very lucky.
0: That is all the questions. Thanks Said. very much for everybody
2: that uh, sent in questions again. It's great to hear people are listening to yeah. us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you have nothing better to do in lockdown, but thanks anyway. <laughs>
1: when we all get out of lockdown, please remember us and please remember to send questions. <laughs> actually, uh, Robin, he listens to a lot of podcasts during work he was in and he says he's actually listened to all of our podcasts twice. That's how bad things oh, are for him. Goodness. I feel, I feel bad <laughs> for him.
2: That's why our viewing, viewing figures are up there. Figures are up. <laughs> They're all from Robin.
1: So yeah, you thanks very much. Probably
2: listened it two or three times to understand what we were
0: saying.
1: Oh, well, he he's one the talking.
0: He had to translate <laughs> it into Balamina speak.
1: <laughs> yeah. So as Lee says, thank you very much for everyone sending the questions. It's good. and listener feedback. There's actually quite a few is out there sending stuff as well to watch during the lockdown. So I say if anybody wants to send anything or wants anything sent to them, just hit us up and we'll forward it on. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll leave it there. As always, you can find us on social media, both Facebook and Instagram at Reload Podcast. You can find me at Connor McCann.
0: I'm at Maxwell House 46. And I'm at Dubboy.
1: Thank you very much and stay safe, everyone.
0: See you later. Yes, thanks for listening, guys, and hopefully
2: we'll be better news in two weeks' time. Stay safe, guys. Bye.